Hello. Welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to be with you for another week. And this is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago or the way of St. James. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe, and pilgrims have walked the Camino for centuries. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're thinking of walking the Camino and you're wondering what to expect, have a listen to the almost 200 interviews I've conducted for the podcast. You'll learn about life, about love, heartache, inspiration, growth, and the journey of life. Indeed, it's often said the Camino is a metaphor for life. Some days you're doing it easy. No hill is too steep. No obstacle is insurmountable. Then there are days when you wish you were anywhere but on the Camino de Santiago. Provided you're prepared to put one foot in front of the other, to keep pushing on, to keep trying, you'll get to your destination. Most pilgrims, most Caminos, finish at the magnificent cathedral in the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela, where we're told the remains of Christ's apostle St. James, James the Stronger, are interred. And as I said, pilgrims have walked for centuries. Well, I spoke last week with Father Stephen Rindal, who hosts Warriors on the Camino, a group offering pilgrimage for veterans dealing with the ravages of war. Father Stephen wrote to me this week with a suggestion for an introduction. He'd read a book by Catherine Lee Bates, published 100 years ago in 1920, It's called Spanish Highways and Byways. She wrote, Up and down these sheer ravines stumbled the blind and lame, sure of healing, if only they could reach the shrine. Deaf and dumb went in the pilgrim ranks, the mad, the broken-hearted, the sin-oppressed, only the troop of lepers held apart. Some of those footsore wayfarers, most likely the raggedest of all, carried a secret treasure for the saint. Some staggered under penitential weights of lead and stone, and others bore loads of bars and fetters in token of captivity, from which St. James had set them free. 1920. It's a hundred years ago. Well, I'm delighted this week to tell you that my guest is a great friend of mine, Carl Sticklemeyer. Carl and I have been corresponding for years now. We're both musicians, we're pilgrims, and we're Christians. Carl Sticklemeyer is on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hello, Dan. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Uh, it's been a while since I talked to you, a couple months, and uh, <laughs> enjoyed the stay we had in uh, Tahoe, and it just seems like yesterday, and uh, very uh, pleased and uh, honored to be on one of the many podcasts. I've listened to all of them and uh, looking forward to uh, tell a few of my stories and I hope I can get through them and, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So how fantastic. This hour is all yours. Yeah, yeah. It's so great to talk to you. Hey, Carl, before we get to the Camino, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I live in Pennsylvania with my lovely wife, Lenny. Um, Worked on the railroad for 40 years, uh, not on the trains, but uh, in the construction end of it, which I was glad to do because I was home every night instead of being on the road. And retired, uh, it'll be 10 years in, uh, in August. We live out in the country, and it was uh, a few years after I retired that uh, in 2013, I retired in 2010, that I uh, went on my first Camino the Portuguese. I've been on four uh, Caminos, but the, the first one was uh, the Portuguese, and uh, the next year was uh, uh, half the Francais. I could never take off more than a month because of being in a band and having gigs. I didn't want to miss more than two, so I always planned it for like three weeks at a time. So uh, the second one was uh, the first one was in in thirteen, and then the the second one was in uh, fourteen, and and then the third one was in 14, the other half of the Francais. And then in uh, 16, I did some of the German Camino. And uh, that was my Camino uh, route so far. I mentioned in the opener that you're a Christian. Your faith is very important to you. I wonder why. 
Well, I, I think it's something that started uh, with me back in, uh, in Catholic school, even though when you were young, you really didn't know much about it. But uh, doing the repetition of, of prayers as the older you got, you understood it. And uh, then you started to understand as you got older about that there was more to, to life and there, there was a God. And, uh, and uh, that stories you heard in school weren't just stories. They were the real McCoy. And, um, and even though the Camino is a, a mental, physical, and spiritual journey, it's all three and they all kind of come together all at once. But I was very fortunate that uh, all of mine had a spiritual backing that uh, just led me along and, and got me through like there was just a walk in a park, even though, like you said in your earlier um, talk there, that it's hard at times, but it seemed like as hard as it was, it didn't seem to bother me as much. I was, I was very blessed. Uh, the Portuguese, I, I went there. Uh, like everybody has said, how did you hear about the Camino? I wish I had a different story to say, but my wife's cousin, uh, came over for a visit the year before I was in Scotland and he wanted to know about Scotland. Him and his wife were going, uh, traveling and uh, to Scotland. And I have to thank Donnie, uh, for bringing out a video. Uh, we were eating supper and he said, Carl, I'd uh, like you to watch his video. And I said, I, I don't want to watch it. And he said, well, it's a nice, it's a good video. I says, I'm just not interested. And then he said, it's a Catholic video. I said, and then the wife looked at me across the table. In other words, saying, just take it which I did. And, uh, dinner was over. They went away, uh, a couple of weeks went by and my wife went off to a conference somewhere in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And I was upstairs with the dog and I, and, uh, we was fighting over what to watch on TV. So I said, well, we're, we just won't watch anything. So I shut the TV off and I got thinking, let me throw that video in that, uh, uh Donnie sent me. And of course it was the way. And, uh, it was less than a month later that my niece, whose fiance uh, was from Portugal, uh, he made the arrangements, and there I was in Portugal some three weeks after watching the movie. Not knowing about too much about the Francais, the Portuguese, uh, uh, the other uh, routes, it's just that that's where he was from. He set it all up. Uh, didn't do any planning, uh, no spreadsheet on my end, uh, but the, the first... Camino was a short one. We started just on the other side of Portugal into Santiago. It was very hot. It was in June, which I learned that lesson also. A lot of people, it was a lot about the bed race, which was all new to me too. But uh, it all came to a finish in Santiago uh, and at the mass, and the emotions just took over right there. Wow. And, uh, and then from there, we went on to Fatima. Uh, and I thought that was it until I came home. And, uh, when I came home, I felt that I wanted to do the Francais and, uh, I wasn't there long at home. And I was walking up and down the, uh, the road out here in the country where we live. And I said, I've got to go back. So eight or nine months later, uh, there I was on the Francais wanting to start at St. John. Uh, but when I was doing the scheduling, I was going to have to stay in Pamplona for a couple of days because of the bus schedule in, uh, on Sundays, I was going to have to spend an extra day there. So I wanted to get going once I got there, arrived there and, uh, flew into Madrid and I just put my finger on the map and just kind of went straight up and seen a town called Burgos, which I knew nothing about and, uh, got on a train and uh, went to Burgos and that was on a Saturday I arrived and uh, didn't know really anything about it. And uh, we got off at the train station there. And on the train, I seen some young kids that were really looking in bad shape. And I'm thinking they came off the Camino. And uh, when we got off the train station, uh, I talked to them a little bit. And they did just come off the Camino. And they were pretty banged up. I didn't know what I was in store for. And I said that I was headed down into Burgos. And they said that they were too. And they had rented a car. And they gave me a lift and took me right to the uh, the pilgrim's house there or the, the big municipal. Yeah. And as I got, th as I got there, uh, the guy said he had a few rooms left. Uh, and then I had to fill out that little chart there. And in the meantime, it took me so long to figure it out. Cause a lot of it was in English. The room has got filled up. Uh -huh. So there I was with no place to stay, but he told me about a place to stay 
just a few blocks down the road where the few blocks ended up uh, about four or five miles. And I was at a campgrounds and I went to the campgrounds. And as soon as I got there, I, uh, a French couple who I'd never seen before, of course, in my life. And they offered me, a, they had a spare tent for me to stay in, but then a trailer came up and I stayed uh, uh, in the trailer. There was some pilgrims put the next morning, uh, gave me a ride back to Burgos. And I went to uh, morning mass and got a later start. And I started out of there about 9 or 9.30. And uh, I wanted to get to Hontanas the first day, but yeah. because of uh, the late start, I made it to Horn and Dell, I think. And that was my first day. How fantastic. Uh, How fantastic. Hey, you know, um, we talked about Christianity and we talked about faith a minute ago. The world feels so messed up right now, and America is on edge like we've never, well, we haven't seen for generations, I suppose. Carl, having a strong faith must be comforting, a, a sense of calm in a way. Well, well, it is. I mean, it's not 100% because we are humans, uh, but I have found out if, if I put my trust there and know that uh, this world isn't forever, and just turn off the television, and, and, and I don't go into town much. I'm really out here, not in the outback like you've seen in Australia, but I really have it good out here where I know that nothing's going on. I take my walks, I cut my grass, I cut my firewood, I walk the dog, and I go to sleep in the evening like it's, everything's still the same. So um, we live about 100 miles from Pittsburgh. I guess they had some situations down there, yeah. but... Uh, uh, I don't know how the you do it without faith, uh, but it's been a it, it's really been a key to me. It's tough staying on that narrow road sometimes, yeah. unless it's the Camino and we can keep following the arrows and they could be wide or narrow, and we seem to find our path there. Did did Linny? You, you mentioned your wife, Linny. Did Linny travel on the Camino with you? No, she uh, had some. Uh, well, because of work was one thing, but she had some leg issues where she couldn't. And, uh, but I have to thank her before I get off this interview because of the inspiration she gave me. Uh, and of course my niece, Emily, who lives in Maryland now that got me organized to go on the first one. And then a, a friend of mine, Nicole, that was, a, a great help. It was going to possibly go on to a Camino with me, but, uh, because of commitments at work and that she couldn't make it, but she followed me along on the, the Camino on my, uh, mostly my third and my fourth one in Germany, which was a big, big help and an inspiration and uh, just kept me going. And um, so the first couple of Caminos were no communications and the third and fourth, I, you know, I had the tablet along and, yeah. and pushing me along. And uh, so it was, uh, it, it was all good. I, I had uh, some shin splints uh, on the first Camino to Portuguese, but after that, I really had no problems uh, as far as uh, muscle aches or, or or blisters. It was just uh, I, I thank God every every day I woke up. It was just amazing that uh, everything went so good for me. You know. Yeah, you know, um, when when you and I met face to face in Tahoe um, back in March, um, this whole COVID crisis was literally breaking that day um, right it was it was you know really a great deal of uncertainty but there was just such a terrific camaraderie between all of those pilgrims at that conference um uh you really got a sense that you know you were with kindred spirits in many ways how how do you explain or how do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it, Carl? Well, like I said uh, in a video I made, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Dodd, made a nice video for me when I came back, that it's not for everybody, but it is for everybody. And uh, it is hard to explain, like most of your programs have told you on that show. And a lot of them say, just go ahead and do it. The first thing that I would tell them today, and I mean this truthfully, is to listen to some of Dan Mullen's podcasts <laughs> and listen to the pilgrims, what they're saying. So you've got 166 of them. You can pick any one 
and get the same feeling. And as far as being, and when people, when they, when I tell them what I've done or something, they say, oh my goodness. And I said, you're walking, you're not running. Anybody can do it. I have a, you know, you told me about a story. Well, I've got more than, this would be the longest uh, interview of all times if I told all my stories. But uh, the one story that comes to mind, I think it was my, uh, well, I think it was my third Camino. And uh, I was coming to the end of the day and I could see the town up ahead and uh, was going up a slight grade and, Oh, a hundred yards or so in front of me, I seen somebody that looked like they was going to fall over at any time. I didn't know if it was a male or female, but it wasn't looking good. When I got up close, it was a girl, uh, and she was from Germany and, uh, I had asked her if she's okay and if she needed help. And, uh, and she said no. And I had to respect that. I, I just thought she was overly tired or something like that. So the town was a, couple uh, miles up the hill and this and that. And I arrived there and checked into my room and I don't know if it was an hour or an hour and a half that went by and in she came and she signed in. And then she looked at me and she says, I need your help. Now she was going to go up the stairs and here this girl had MS, the early stages of MS. So what I thought was a struggle with her daily routine here she is walking with MS, and she would do about 10, 10K a day was all, but she was going to do the whole Camino. Oh. And when she asked me, when she asked me for her help then, uh, I, the, the warmth that, that went through me, it, uh, well, I've got to watch myself <laughs> during this interview, or I'll just be sobbing the whole time. But stories like that of uh, the human touch out there, that people uh, come together is just uh, remarkable that knowing that somebody with MS struggling along, but was going to make it was just uh, an unbelievable story. Wow. How fantastic. And so she was walking alone. Yes. Yes. And uh, that's the last I seen her, of course, because her only walking, yeah. you know, she just struggled every step, but, uh, that's what I learned uh, a lot from the wow. it's, uh, it's time to go, Carl. I'll finish with my last stories when I learned what the Camino was really about. But uh, one of your people that you interviewed, a husband and wife here a while ago, they were saying something about the Camino, and, and he made this statement, if more or less, that the world leaders had just walked the Camino together, which is never going to happen. But they'd see that that's all we need to do is walk and eat and sleep and talk and get along because the people on the Camino are from all the nations all over this world. And we get along and we're the same person as we're there. And if that would be a great thing, as your uh, pilgrim buddy said a couple of weeks ago, but I was also thinking about that today, that what a calm, what a peace the place is. So I know we're all looking forward to getting back on it. I know I am. And, uh, that day will come. That day will come. Yeah, that day will come, and we can go back to celebrate and enjoy that Camino community again. How lovely. What a great story. Hey, Carl, um, what did you learn about yourself, or what have you learned about yourself on this pilgrim journey? Well, I'd have to say that, as a lot of your uh, interviewees tell you, that People walk it for different reasons, and a lot of it's loss um, of a loved one or uh, a job loss, et cetera, et cetera. When, when I walked these Caminos, I really didn't have anything in the back of my head to walk it for, with the exception of uh, my last one on the Francais, uh, my uh, niece, uh, had a friend that was a foreign exchange student that we used to used to come over to our house and visit from Sweden. They went to the prom together, all that stuff. And uh, he got into some trouble, not because of his own, but because of uh, people in Africa that weren't too good people. And so this last Camino on the Francais, I said that 
I'm going to walk some of it for Johan in, in hopes that we get to see him again. And, uh, and we didn't know if that was going to happen. Uh, without telling the story too much, he was held hostage by the Taliban in Africa for six and a half years. And uh, he was just on a bike trip, uh, a pilgrimage on a motocross bike from Sweden to Africa. And he got, uh, he got captured. And uh, so the next year I went to, yeah. So the next year after that Camino, I went on to Sweden to see his parents because I didn't know if, if we'd ever see him again. So I wanted to walk for him. And as I was walking, I ran into one person from Sweden and another one from Norway that had read about uh, his story back in their countries on the news and that. So that was an inspiration for me to walk. But as far as learning for what I learned about myself, it was what you talked about earlier, the trust. And, And sometimes it left me because when you would get lost, you keep going and keep going, and then you'd see an arrow, and you say, why did I doubt that I wasn't going to yeah. find that next yeah. arrow? You know? yeah. So the doubt, the doubt still slips in, but uh, things, a few things have happened since my last Camino in Germany, and, and I think now I'll be like the other people that have a reason to walk it. Of course, I wanted to walk it for the, the pilgrimage as far as getting to St. James, what a inspiration that is to be at the crypt of an apostle of Jesus. But now I do have some things that I've worked out pretty much, but I think that Camino would be the icing on the cake and, and, and close that chapter of uh, the things that I've bumped into in the last four years or so since I've been on Camino. So I have learned that it's good for anybody and, uh, and you'll get something out of it. Uh, even if you don't have something that's bothering you as I did, I walked all the Caminos, like Jiminy Cricket from Walt Disney and Zippity Doodah, but there was a lot of things, you know. But you know, you told me uh, before about about you know tell you a Camino story. Well, I'm not a spreadsheet pilgrim, but I wrote down about 13 different stories that I had, and I, you can keep asking questions. <laughs> I can throw you another story anytime. That's great. That's great. Hey, um, you and I send one another emails, um, and it's it's often a reflection about music. So tell us about your musical mm-hmm. journey. Well, the musical journey, I, uh, I started playing guitar when I was 14 or so and was the usual young kid that played in garage bands and knew three chords, and I still am playing three chords, as I told you before. Yeah. And always wanted to, to maybe make it locally big or something along that line. But uh, I made the mistake of always being in a band with friends who uh, someone told me when I was young to never be in a, in a band with friends or, for that matter, in business. Well, at the time, I was maybe 15 when he told me this, and he was 17 or 18, and he went on to make it big. He went on to have a, a, a full-blown show in Vegas and everything like that. And, uh, and so I always was just hanging around friends, playing guitars. And then after I went off to the service, uh, I didn't play in bands anymore. And then when I came back, I, first thing I wanted to do was go out and buy the, uh, the Gibson Les Paul and the Fender amps and, and started again. But again, I, I started with friends. So it wasn't until I was later in life that I started to play at church and I played at church for around 20 years and it was very enlightening and, uh, at times, and uh, and the, the music uh, was more in my life then. And then later on, uh, well, I don't know if it's been 10 years or whatever, been in a few bands, and the, the latest band, uh, we just took a little break and uh, been playing the coffee house thing. And it, it, the coffee houses, you don't have to stay out as late as like you do. And it's been it's a lot of been more acoustic than it has in the past. So, uh, but. Uh, as far as the music, that's what we touched on, and it was such an honor, if I can use that word, to be playing your guitar and uh, as we was in your room out there singing somewhere along the way. I mean, yeah. I tell you, that was just a, a great thing. But Let me just ask you quickly, do you, do you still love it? I still love it. I pick up the guitar, I love it. Do you still love oh, it? Oh, yes. I, well, I always have, and it's, it's been my best friend. I hope my wife doesn't hear this interview. But <laughs> the guitar is always... Now, maybe if you play the trumpet, it's the same thing. I don't know. 
But all these years, 50 years or 56 years, I'll be 70 this year. The, the guitar has always been there for me. And, uh, no matter if I'm in a good mood, a bad mood, if it's raining out, if it's sunny out, if it's snowing out, all you have to do is pick up your friend and it's waiting there for you. Yeah. So I still do love it. I was playing this morning and I was playing somewhere along the way, just beefing it up a little bit upstairs and <laughs> capo three though. I, I don't play it. I, I have to sing in capo three on the, Oh really? Oh, okay. I might have a. Well, cra- I'll have a crack at that later. No, no, don't use. I'm not a singer. <laughs> but as far as back to the Camino, I, I'd like to tell you uh, when I finished the Camino in '16 in Germany, I also went to Sweden. Like I said, uh, to meet my friends' uh, parents, and uh, when I was getting into Hontanus, before I got into Hontanus. There was a little chapel on the right. Don't know if you remember. Yeah, I do. Remember or not. A, yeah. small, a small shrine with a statue of St. Bridget. And I just, I guess there's been more than one St. Bridget, but I thought St. Bridget was a German saint. Okay, end of story, I thought. When I went to Sweden, and I can't pronounce the name of the uh, big cathedral we was in there, a Lutheran cathedral with my friends, I see a little statue of St. Bridget. And I'm going, wait a minute. So I called him over, and she said, oh, yeah, she's one of the patron saints of Sweden. And then I, and the, the cathedral we was in, uh, she designed, she had a dream came to her, blueprints in her head, and she de- designed this big uh, cathedral. And But the funny thing is about it, she also, in, in 1360 or something, walked the Camino. Oh. So even in Sweden, even in Sweden, I was bumping into things about the Camino. And then the next year, well, I'll tell you a story about Stuart. Uh, I was out of Pomplona, and I heard some fast-moving footsteps behind me on the gravel road. And I turned around, and I seen this young man uh, just really beating feet. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, has he got some gumption? Well, he got up to me, and uh, we got talking, and he was from London. And this was his first. Well, that explained why he was going. He didn't go to Pyrenees. He started in Pomplona that day. Well, he was a, a chef from London, and uh, he was just applied for a job in Scotland on on an island off in the Inner Hebrides, uh, a couple hours off the coast, the west coast of Scotland. And he applied for it, and I said, do you mind if I say a little prayer for your job. And he said, no, go ahead. So I, I said a little generic prayer that, that he'd get his job. And I don't know how soon it was, but we was in our way on the industrial end of uh, Burgos, which isn't that fun of a day. Yeah. And once we got to, we did about a 40 K day that day and uh, his phone rang and it was the place on the Isle of Jura that gave him an interview. We sat right down on the sidewalk there and interviewed him for about 40 minutes. And that was that. And, uh, we walked into Burgos and stayed the year before. I couldn't get a room at the big municipal there, but that night we did. And we stayed there and he got a phone call. Then they called him back and they said that he had the job if he wanted it. Wow. Well, little did he know, he didn't know whether to go back. He had 20 days to get there to the island, and he didn't know to, whether to continue on uh, with the Camino with me or to get back to London. Well, he was having a little bit of leg trouble, and he decided to, uh, to head home and get organized. Well, after he was home, he went on to Jura, where he found out that the job was there was an opening for that job because the chef, the assistant chef at the time, left the job to go walk the Camino. No. Yes. That's and, amazing. Well, it even gets better. A week or two after he had had a job at this hotel, it, it's an island where there's only 196 people live. Sure. And uh, it, it's a small place. And a week or two after he arrived there, uh, a, a girl arrived there for a waitress job who just came off of the Norte. No. That's fantastic. It gets even better. <laughs> it even gets better. They now have a little girl by the name of Poppy, 
and they are husband and wife. Oh, Unbelievable. that's great. So the Camino never stops no matter what country. And so in 17 and 18, I went to the island of Jura and stayed with him uh, instead of going on a Camino. But there was still the Camino connection, and uh, it's just been a, a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Wonderful time. That's a great story, Carl. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know, um, we've mentioned a couple of times and you just talked there about prayer and praying. Christians talk about um, redemption of the soul. Um, It's a very difficult concept to put simply, but I kind of feel like the Camino is good for the soul. Is that how you see it? Well, uh, again, like I said earlier, I was in a good state when I was walking, so I was so thankful every day that everything worked out. Yeah, there, I, it seems like that I was there was a freedom there. If somebody would ask me, and I've heard a few of your programs uh, interviews when you asked what word would you describe, and it came to me the, the same word that a few of the people have said it was freedom over there, and it was freedom from everything. And, and I think a little bit of even freedom from sin, because you didn't even have time to sin. There was so much on your mind as far as getting to sleep at night, getting up in the morning, walking away. You just worried about the basics in life, as everybody talks about. And that's kind of all we need. And, of course, to strum a guitar once in a while. So, But uh, another story when I was in Germany, you talk about the faith thing. I was going to go to uh, Ireland or England to maybe do a coast-to-coast. And then a friend of mine said, well, you're not Irish or you're not English. Why don't you, you're German. Why don't you do the German Camino, which I never even thought about. So I did some looking around, and uh, I said, okay, I'll go to Germany and walk. And I was going to start in a town called Spire. And at that time was a time when there was a lot going on where people, men and women both, were leaving their countries in Syria and going to other countries. Right. Uh, Germany, Germany being one. And we were sitting at the dinner table one night, the wife and I, and she was kind of looking at me just as a couple of days before I was leaving I, uh, out of Toronto. And I said, what's wrong? And she says, I kind of wish you wasn't going to Germany. And I says, well, why? She says, well, I, we just don't know what's going on over there. And that's about all we said. And that evening I laid in bed and uh, I said, maybe I made the wrong call this time. But regardless, I went. So the very first day that I'm walking, I'm looking for a town, I could be wrong in the pronunciation, uh, Gemmerstein. And I was looking for the downtown area to get a bite to eat. I came to a spot in the road where the sign said left, but it it just seemed like I was supposed to be going to the right. So I just stood there for a while and, uh, uh, two young boys were walking down the road and I went up to them and tried to talk a little bit and they tried to talk a little bit, but it wasn't going good at all. The little, little, little German I knew wasn't helping out and they didn't understand anything. So we did get across. They said they knew somebody that had a phone that could speak English. Okay. Good enough for me. So we walked along, and, and I'm saying, am I even doing the right thing, just walking with complete strangers, not knowing where, they don't know where I'm going, and I don't know where I'm going. We finally got to a house, and a big guy came out, and I walked up to him, and I said, what kind of German are these guys speaking? He says, they don't speak German, they speak Arabic. <laughs> I says, what? <laughs> where are you guys from? He goes, Syria, Damascus. And so they... We introduced ourselves. He could speak English. And they took me to town where I wanted to go to get the bite to eat. As, as we were leaving, I said, God bless. And then I said, excuse me. And the, the guy that could speak English, he said, what, what's wrong? What would you say? And I said, God bless. I didn't want to insult. He says, we have the same God. I felt about an inch high when he said that. So, again, we're thinking that were also different in this world. Yeah. And here they were. I, I, I know there was nobody in my neighborhood at that time that could say, and I won't, I'll say the word for the last time, refugee. These people were not refugees. They were men and women as we were 
And here they were, what everybody was seeing on the televisions, that they was these bad people. These men led me hand in hand, and we took pictures and hugged. And it was just an amazing situation. That was one of the highlights of my German Camino to have uh, that come to me that uh, that we are all the same. We have the same God, most of us. So uh, the the stories on the Camino that, and I tell everybody, it's just all you have to do is go. The stories will come. Uh, it's just an amazing situation, and I can't wait to get back as you can. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. You, so. but, but it's interesting, Carl, um, hearing you tell these stories because I find, um, and I'm sure you're the same, that being open to Christ's teaching, which is all about love, and that's what you're talking about. Um, and and being open to those teachings makes walking in the footsteps of St. James a very special thing to do. What's the best part about the Camino um, for you? What do you think f- most fondly of? Well, number one, and, and I don't want to sound too religious or too spiritual, but it's just putting that trust in God, and then whatever comes that day, it's going to be okay. It might not be what you wanted that day, but we're, we're not in charge. And uh, let God guide us, and it usually his guidance is a lot better, as long as we can see the arrows, and it's a way to go. And, uh, and it seems like as soon as you get home, not long after, as people talk, you lose that freedom or that trust because you get back into if we want to call it the real world or, or something like that. Yeah. But uh, it's just a sense of relief being on the Camino that you don't have to. And I suppose I, I, uh, I asked a priest friend of mine when I came back after one of them that, that would, I said I felt a little guilty about being away from all my responsibilities and this and that. And he says, no, Carl, we, we all need to have a retreat and get away for a while. I says, Father, I, I want to do this year-round to be away from everything and the worries. And he goes, well, you, you can't do that, my son. So I understood what he meant by that. But uh, it's, it's just an experience. And, uh, but if, if you got time for another story, I can tell another story. Yeah, What's go your right next ahead. I'd, I'd love – well, I was going to ask you because I, sometimes when I, I – I, ask people what is the best part about the Camino, I follow it up with what did you find most challenging? Well, uh, except for the Portuguese, where we just got on a plane and took off, and we found out, and I found out, that going downhill is is a lot rougher than going uphill because you're holding back. Uh, that... Uh, I really didn't struggle that much. And it, it were, well, I think maybe because I, I did walk a lot when I was at home and, uh, and it kept going. But uh, I think just finding out about yourself was just, uh, there's a song called Let It Go. And, and I think you just have to let it go over there. And it might not turn out how you want to, or you might not stay where you want to, but it's all going to be fine. And, and, and it's, and everybody talks about, well, I don't. And I think that's another thing, too, that I learned that it, it was a, even though it sounds like a big deal that people that have never done it walked a couple hundred miles or so on and so on. And like you did from Lourdes to Santiago. Good job, Dan, that uh, that everybody can do it. And it, it gives you a sense that you can not only do things on the Camino, but it helps you when you get back to the real world to know that yeah, maybe I can't put them shingles on today on my barn. You know, if I just take my time and take one shingle in front of me at a time, one step at a time, like on the Camino. You know, I, yeah. I hope that answered your question. No, it did. It did. So now tell me your, tell me this story. I want to hear it. Well, I've, I've got a, uh, you know, a question you never asked is uh, any regrets on the Camino. And I've got two, and they both happened on the second Camino. And I didn't realize it wasn't intentional, but I was walking with a, a man from Ecuador and we were walking up a slight hill and in the distance, I could see two women and it looked like one woman was like pulling one of those behind her, like a shopping cart, you know, oh, yeah, that yeah. they pull on two wheels. Yeah. And as we got closer, uh, we introduced ourselves or what you usually do. And, uh, 
the younger woman uh, said, my mother touched your face. I didn't catch on right away, which, you know, I have no problem with that. And here she was rubbing my face and her nose, and she did the same to the guy from Ecuador. She was completely blind, 80 years old, walking a Camino. What? And so, yes, yes, of course, her daughter was holding her hand. And so you're saying, what is the regret I had? Uh, I, I don't know if you get caught up in thinking other things. Uh, after conversation, I went on my way and I walked, and the, the young man from Ecuador stayed, which I'm glad he did. A couple miles down the road, I then realized, why didn't I offer to pull that woman's cart up the hill? And that bugged me and bugged me. Okay, that's my first Camino uh, regret. It might not seem like a big deal, but what I was thinking, it wasn't intentional, but regret number one. The second regret came, I was coming into a small village early in the morning, and there was a person in front of me walking very slow, uh, not too good a shape, probably. And uh, I got closer, and it was uh, a younger girl. And uh, so I walked with her for a while. And it was, I mean, if we did 100 uh, yards in, uh, in 10 minutes, we were really going along. She, yeah. she was really struggling. And uh, come to find out, she was a school teacher from Mankato, Minnesota, where my aunt used to teach school also. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're walking along for a little bit. And she knew that uh, she had been with some friends and they couldn't they went ahead too. I mean, she just walked slow and she would tell the people. And my regret here was she had the face of an angel. This girl was beautiful. And you got to watch what you say, especially in other countries. And I, I wasn't going to say, boy, you're really beautiful. Cause maybe she wouldn't have believed me. Who knows what she'd have been known. I was thinking, but that was another regret that I, I didn't speak what I really believed and tell her what a beautiful woman she was, even though other parts of her could have used a little bit of a tune-up. She had the face of an angel. So it wasn't long after I got home, <clears throat> I'm trying to find Catholic schools in Pancato, Minnesota, to find a Spanish teacher that I didn't even know a name, and I felt a little strange talking to uh people in the office, excuse me, you don't know me. I don't know you. I don't know the person I'm talking to. Uh, she's blonde, you, you know, but I never, I thought I was getting close because there's so many Catholic schools in Mankato, but I never found her. But the, the only regrets I have about the Camino was not offering to pull that woman's cart and then also uh, not telling her. And I'll never do that again. If I see somebody that's beautiful, whether it's a buck or a doe, I'm going to let them know it's uh you're a beautiful person, not only on the inside as this person was, but she was beautiful. And I, and I didn't feel it was okay to say, but it is okay to say, I think. So yeah, that was my only regrets, only regrets. The all the others are positive. Uh, if you got a question, okay, fine. If not, I've got more stories. No, no, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, this day and age, you know, we're also frightened to say things like that. Uh, I said to mm-hmm. one of my colleagues at work not long ago, you look fantastic today. And she said, mm-hmm. and, and then as soon as I said it, I said, oh, no, I'm not supposed to say that anymore. She said, it'll be just right. our, li- our little secret. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was happy to take the compliment, of course. But you mentioned there, you, you, in light of what you just said, you, your wife, Linny, is very supportive of your Camino pursuits, as is my Jennifer. We're lucky men, aren't we? We're blessed, man. Uh, more than lucky, we're blessed. And uh, I and the only reason I'm talking to you right now is she had found your podcast. I've never listened to a podcast ever in my life. And uh, she had found it some way, and she said, listen to this. And I said, I, I don't listen to podcasts. And I was hooked on maybe the first one you use up to five or six or something, but I backtracked and caught up. And... Uh, as I said earlier, uh, now what I tell people after I tell them a few of my stories and uh, whether they think I'm pulling their leg or pulling their pack or something, just go listen to one of Dan Mullen's podcasts. If that doesn't get you at least started in the right direction, and some of the stories out there that have been on your podcast and the people that have uh, 
we won't get into them, some of the stories they've had and the strength that these people have had, both men and women, is just amazing. It is. It is. It is amazing. It is amazing. Um, just last week, I was lucky enough to go for a long drive and listen to a few of the old episodes, and I was delighted, actually. I was very proud. <laughs> I thought, this is really good. <laughs> These are good stories. Hey, so tell us another story. Come on. I know you've, you, you've, you've okay. got a big spreadsheet there, haven't you, of all these stories? Well, well, <laughs> well here's a, uh, one quick one. It involves uh, an Australian uh, man. Uh, I stayed at a alberghe somewhere, and I can't remember the names as much as anymore, but I asked them. It was a private run, and so I, the woman was from Austria, but she was working there. And I asked her, this was a Saturday, uh, is there a Catholic church in town? And she said, no, there's one about 12 miles from here and whatever the town was, I don't remember. And I asked uh, if she could look up what time the mass was, and I forget if it was 8.30 or 9 o'clock or whatever. And I said that uh, I'm going to get up in the morning and walk 12 miles to church. And she says, well, we don't open here till whatever the time was. And she said, but I'll make an exception and I'll leave the door open. So I don't know if I left at five or five thirty. but as I was talking to her, this man called Dave from Australia said, can I walk to church with you? And what an amazing thing that is that uh, not somebody saying that, Hey, can I get a lift down the road to church with you? Can I walk 12 mile to church Sunday morning with you so we can make mass? And we just, we was about five minutes late. And of course we couldn't understand anything that they were saying but when I left Mass that day uh, outside, uh, there was an old lady that handed me a devotion card, which I still carry in my wallet today. She had no reason to, you know, do this or, or not to do it. But uh, the kindness of people. But I always remember that you hear people talk about how they walked to school through the snow and this and that. And um, walking 12 miles to church was the best 12 miles to uh, walk to church I've my life with the man Fantastic. from Australia. We was all excited. So Fantastic. How, wow, that's great. Now, when we were in Tahoe, you and, and I and, and our great friend Brian Denker uh, were sitting down. Hi, Brian, if you're out there, Brian. Hey, Brian. <laughs> of course he's listening. <laughs> we, we, we sat down by the water's edge and, and, and we were joking about uh, how you would answer some of the questions that I would eventually ask you. And I'm going to say simply, mm-hmm. what would you say to somebody thinking of walking the Camino? Well, first I would tell them to do the Francais. And not that there's, and somebody, but these are all my opinions, everything I've said on this whole interview. Uh, and walking to Portuguese, uh, walking in Germany on the Camino, the Francais, that's the turnpike to be on for me. That's the highway that it seems that it's all about. And I would tell them to at least, you'd have to do two weeks. I don't see, and everybody's different, this is my opinion, when you walk that last hundred or something like that, it's really not enough time. It takes a good two weeks, two and a half weeks to get everything settled in. So, uh, and and I would tell them if they don't get something out of it, and I hope they do, but if they wouldn't, that I would pay their airfare. And, uh, and and that's a, a promise. I, if it was somebody I knew, a friend, I would pay their airfare if they could come back and honestly say it didn't do anything for me. But I don't think I'm going to have to pay anybody's airfare because no. it just it just it's just something. And uh, I was watching my old video today, and and I, you can't explain it. No, and you... it seems kind of like we're hiding something. Like yes, they can explain it. We can't explain it. What it's like to be there, but it is for everybody. But it's not for everybody. So, but if someone's listening uh, and and they're listening to this podcast as a method of research, in a way, do you have a tip mm-hmm. a tip for them, Carl? Some somewhere to stay, something to avoid, something every pilgrim must pack. Well, as far as that goes, uh, uh, I learned from enough people. I, uh, th- my niece was one that had brand new pair of cute blue hiking shoes that she just had to have. Well, after day one. Uh, she was struggling and uh, another girl came along that had sandals and gave my niece her sandals or extra sandals or she would have not made it to Patron that night, I think is where we were headed. So the shoes are the number one. 
the training, uh, you don't have to go overboard. If there's a couple months there that you can walk a couple mile a day, every other day, sure, uh, do it, you know. And you don't have to practice maybe with your uh, with a pack on or nothing. But, you know, get the cranks out of the body. And there's not, as far as being the spreadsheet, the Camino is your spreadsheet. It, it will take care of you. It's, it's, you've heard it a million times, and, and it's true, it does. It, it takes care of you. But uh, there's not really that much to worry about except having the right clothing. You're always going to have that rain jacket, too. But uh, I thought if I went back this next time that maybe I'd pack a tent because maybe the situations would be different uh, where we stay. But uh, packing the tent, taken out of that little bag, it never gets back in the same way. So I don't know what my next one's going to end up being. But uh, I, the preparation, and, and you know, you go on the Internet and just watch and, and listen to other people's stories tell, and you can just about learn everything off that Internet now about the Camino and things you have to know. But I would definitely recommend a, at least two, two and a half weeks on the Francais whether you start at uh, St. John and go to Burgos or Burgos to uh, Santiago. But if you're only going to make one, I would start in the middle there somewhere and go. But no, my first one was going to be starting right outside the Meseta, which I heard all these horror stories. Yeah. So I called your buddy, I called your buddy Kurt Kuntz on yeah. the back of his book. He's got his phone number. <laughs> so I called him up. And I said, hello, you don't know me, and uh, I'm going to be walking at Camino, and I'm going to start in the Meseta. Any idea? He said, I love the Meseta, and I did too. It, you know, it's, uh, That's so it's great. all different out there. Yeah. Yeah, so I called him. But uh, the preparation, if you're, even if you're not in shape, as the girl was from Mankato, she still walked it. As the girl that had MS, she still walked it. As the woman was blind, she still walked it. So... If they can do it, I'm surely you can do it. And even if you're blind, struggling with MS, and not in shape, you're still going to make it on that beautiful Camino that we call life, that we wish we were back on. Oh, Carl, I couldn't think of a better place to finish. Thank you so much well, for, for your time, honestly. Well, I, I've, I've just looked at the clock. We've been talking for 55 minutes or something. It's absolutely been a, a fantastic conversation, a wonderful journey together. Well, I saved my last story for last. And Go on. The Camino taught. Okay. Uh, two quick ones, and I'll get you under an hour. But <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, but I would say, for, for, I don't know how, how long we've been. On my third Camino, uh, a man from Australia told me where to stay in Madrid when I got back there. When I went there, I stayed there. And I was walking in, and of course, people outside the hotel there. And I went by, and this one homeless girl, and if I can say in a Christian way, laying there with her three dogs was beautiful. Now, she wasn't cleaned up or nothing like this. So I, uh, the next morning when I was leaving for home, there she was laying out in front of the motel, her hotel. And uh, I took off my pack, and I, made sure, I knew I was going to do it that evening, and I threw clothes away that I know she didn't need or and I just laid my pack with all my belongings there with her. And, uh, and I know she knew it, and the dogs were looking at me, all three of them around her. So when I got to Madrid Airport, I had nothing in my hands. And they said, I went to check into the plane, and uh, they said, luggage to check in, sir? And I said, no, I don't have no luggage. And they said, you don't have no luggage? I said, no. How long have you been in Spain? I said, three weeks. Three weeks and you have no luggage? I said, no, ma'am. And I'm not thinking like they're thinking about security. And then finally she says, what were you doing for three weeks with no luggage in, in, uh, in Spain? I said, I walked the Camino. She says, I'm sorry. We'll get, get you checked right in. But the final, so I learned again that it wasn't about me, the Camino. It was about the other people you help. And the best moment of my Camino came the next year. I'll make it quick, Dan. No, not at all. Go I right was ahead. walking. I was walking out of Santiago that morning, got my train ticket the night before, and uh, so I could make sure everything's right the next day. And I'm walking through uh, Santiago early in the morning. The, the train was going to leave at 8.30, so I was leaving at 7.30 and walking down through the streets for the last time and giggling and 
looking at stores and just really loving the town that we all love so much. And I looked ahead and I seen a woman carrying a lot of luggage and it wasn't going too good. Well, I'm hoping that when I get up there and I say, do you need a hand? That her reply is going to be, no, I'm fine. Well, I got up there and she says, yes, I need help. Well, well, she didn't say that because she was from uh, the Czech Republic and she couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Czech, but we, she understood that and nodded. So I was going through a doorway and uh, there was a homeless man in there. So I, I did uh, a deja vu. I just laid my pack down next to that homeless guy and started carrying her stuff. And she had one of those buggies you pull and we're walking very, very slow. And I'm thinking, I'm going to miss my train. Well, I had to get her there where she was going. I don't know how many blocks we walked or so. And I finally get her to the train station. We're about 15 minutes early, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, she's trying to get her ticket to get out of here, and it ain't going good And because no one can understand her. So I just walked up to the ticket agent and, and paid for her ticket to get her on the train and filled it enough. I've done my duty. Well, she gets on there, and we take off, and we're headed to uh, Madrid, and I helped her get off the train, and I said, I, I can't leave now. I, I've got to get her where the platform she's got to get to. Again, my train, the next train I had to get on was at 3, three o'clock, and I said, if I take this woman down where she's got to go, I'm going to miss my train, but my faith wouldn't let me stop now. So I take her. And we had to get through turnstiles, which I didn't have a stub in that, but there was someone there that understood English. I said, I just need to get her there. I got her down to a window where they could take care of her. And she gave me a kiss that I'll never forget because the kiss was a kiss of the thank you that came from that kiss was something that went through my whole soul and my whole body. And it was something I'll never forget. We could not speak, but that kiss of gratitude. And I said to myself, well, as you know, the trains and buses, everything's on time over there. I says, well, I've missed my train, but what am I going to do? So as I get up to the platform, it's a quarter after three, and I was 15 minutes late, but I looked to the left, and the trains left. It's just coming down. It was 15 minutes late, and I was able to still make my train. Oh. And I said, oh. <laughs> that story taught me that it wasn't about me walking the Camino and feeling all proud and happy. It was about the people that you could help. And that there was the lesson I've learned so much on the Camino. I, I wish I could do it more in, in the world back here, but I kind of hibernate so much at home. I guess it's not the right thing to do. Dan, thanks for letting me tell the extra story. That's no. what I wanted to say because that's my no. that was my best Camino story. That's yeah. just so fantastic. You know, if I want to say to to my listeners, if you are listening and wondering about the Camino, listen to Carl, a Christian walking in the footsteps of Christ and of St James, because on the Camino you'll make friends for life. They'll go back to their life and you'll go back to yours. But you'll share something, a very special something. And then, if you're lucky like me, you'll find those friends in your Camino journey off the Camino, post-pilgrimage, like my friend Carl Stickelmeyer. Buen Camino, my friend. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. We've been talking about doing this podcast for years but I'm just right. so delighted that we have finally had the opportunity to talk and to hear your stories have been absolutely delightful. Buen Camino, my friend. Buen Camino, Dan. God bless. Take care. My guest this week, the American pilgrim, Carl Stickelmeyer. And as I said in the intro, Carl and I have been corresponding back and forth for years now. Um, we're both musicians. We're both Christians. We're both pilgrims, and we're friends. It was Catherine Lee Bates who wrote a hundred years ago in 1920 in a book called Spanish Highways and Byways. Up and down these sheer ravines stumbled the blind and lame, 
sure of healing if only they could reach the shrine. Deaf and dumb went in the pilgrim ranks, the mad, the broken-hearted, the sin-oppressed, only the troop of lepers held apart. Some of those footsore wayfarers, most likely the raggedest of all, carried a secret treasure for the saint. Some staggered under penitential weights of lead and stone, and others bore loads of bars and fetters in token of captivity from which St. James had set them free. 1920, 100 years ago. Thank you so much for your company this week and every week. I'll be back again next week. I'm Dan Mullins. Until then, Buen Camino. Somewhere.